0: Welcome to Real Asian Podcast. I am Ray and I am joined today by Saba Razvi. Welcome back, Saba. How are you doing?
1: Great. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate being here.
0: Listeners of the pod will know that Saba has been on our show before, but it was actually not with me. So, you did an episode with Renee on the namesake, correct?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a great time.
0: (laughs) I know you guys did because uh, I got a chance to listen to it when I was editing it and you know quite honestly even when i was editing it and then also ultimately releasing it it was such an enlightening discussion that you guys had <laughs> um and i was so impressed and so just amazed by the amount of knowledge that you brought it was just a plethora of knowledge about the film and then also just um the the surroundings of the film and uh what it all meant and all that stuff so no pressure <laughs>
1: <laughs> no no i'm not super at all. <laughs> excited to
0: have you back and bring some of that same insight to our first trilogy so Yes, this is our first trilogy, and I think it's an important one. We're going over all three To All The Boys movie fan tries. And so we have the first one called To All The Boys I've Loved Before, also known as Tat Build. That's what I'm going to call it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. And
0: And uh, with the second one being uh, To All The Boys, P.S. I Still Love You. And the third one, Always and Forever. So just to kind of go over to set the scene, in the first movie – It stars, and we're introduced, Laura Jean Song Covey, who who is a teenage girl who writes love letters when she crushes hard for a boy, but never intending to send them out. Except for one day, her secret letters are sent out to these boys, and at school, these boys start to approach her about them. Among these boys are Josh, who happens to be her next-door neighbor and her older sister's boyfriend and Peter Kavinsky, the most popular boy in school, who's just broken up with Jen, the most popular girl at school. After Peter confronts Laura Jean about her love letter, they devise an unusual plan to be in a pretend relationship so that Peter can ultimately win Jen back. However, they start to, you know, begin to feel like their fake relationship could be something more real than they originally expected. And so that's the first film. In P.S. I Still Love You, Another recipient of Laura Jean's letters, John Ambrose, happens to be volunteering at the same retirement home as Laura Jean. Turns out, John Ambrose grew up to be quite the hunk himself, uh, played by Jordan Fisher. And as they spend more time together, John Ambrose develops feelings for Laura Jean, unbeknownst to him that she is actually dating his former best friend, Peter. So in this classic love triangle, Laura Jean grapples with how she feels about John Ambrose and her commitment to Peter. All while Jen, Peter's ex-girlfriend, keeps sticking around, causing some insecurities for Laura Jean. You know she kind of keeps staying in the picture and all that. On the night of an event at the retirement home, John Ambrose kisses Laura Jean, causing her to realize how much she actually loves Peter and not John Ambrose. She rushes outside and is surprised to find Peter waiting for her. They kiss, and the end. That's the second film. In the last and final film, Always and Forever, LJ and PK make plans to go to Stanford together, but disappointed when Laura Jean finds out that she did not get accepted. However, she did get accepted into her safety schools and quite the safety schools they are, UC Berkeley and NYU, but choosing to go to Berkeley since it's closer to Stanford, uh, depending on the traffic and when, what time of day that you're leaving. Uh, Laura Jean's dad proposes to their neighbor, Trina, and begins to uh, plan for a small wedding. On a school trip to New York, Laura Jean falls in love with New York, realizing NYU is actually the school that she really wants to go. So she tells Peter about this, who then feels she's abandoning him. Peter reconnects with his estranged father at this point, realizing the importance of loving someone no matter what. During the wedding, in the final scene, Peter surprises Laura Jean with a written love letter in her yearbook, vowing to love her always and forever, regardless of the distance. The end. So that was just a brief overview of all three films, so Saba, between all three films, obviously the the characters we've grown to uh, know and love, what's your big takeaway from the from the series
1: all right so so my big takeaway, and you know i i, I don't know if it's going to be the same for everyone, but for me, I think um the movie tells us that who we are is only a little part of who we want to be, mm. which is an interesting sort of approach to the rom-com in general, you know, because I think the bigger parts of, um, of this series kind of transcend the romance that tethers the whole thing together and that tethers that narrative together. So we find, um, a lot of matters of the heart and those matters of the heart are not just love, um, or adolescent love, but issues of family heritage and grief, identity and belonging throughout, uh, this film that are the, the series of films that, that are explored. Um, and I think the message is that these matters do transcend ideas that we have that are preset about culture or race or social setting or identity with regard to social role. And I think that they kind of hint at the way our inner truths that we feel in our core and maybe spend our lives learning to articulate really take shape. Um, through moments that seem like they would otherwise be tidy or that can easily be navigated through the lens of nostalgia for something that never existed,
0: that's a great takeaway. I mean, would you say you said who we are? who we are is only a little part of who we want to be and this idea, and like throughout the the whole series, its just like perception versus reality, and especially in with amongst teenagers, right? We see, especially mm-hmm. in the first film, we see this pseudo relationship that Laura Jean and Peter put together and they, to the public eye, everyone knows that they're a couple, but internally, they're still wrestling, figuring out whether they actually like each other or not, but yes. still very much playing the part. Mm-hmm. We, we all do that.
1: Yep. <laughs> whether
0: or not you're in a relationship, you kind of put on a mantle of like, this is how what people think I am. So maybe yeah. that's who I actually are, right? Yeah. It's weird.
1: Yeah, this like notion of, uh, self versus other perception versus reality. I think this is so pronounced in adolescence. You know, mm-hmm. when we're trying to find ourselves in middle school, even more so in high school. And this little moment, this moment of time, junior and senior year, applying to colleges, choosing colleges that uh Lara Jean and Peter are going through right now in this series. I think that's such a wonderful setting of time to use for this discourse and for this experience, because there really is this sense of like play acting who you are or like the fake it till you make it. Um, because so much pressure, so much emphasis is placed on, um, how other people see you. And it's really difficult to be vulnerable and figure out who you are. And what I love about this series is that we're exploring that through this lens of a lot of grief, right? You know, there's, um, the, the awkward sense of abandonment that Laura Jean's um, family is facing through their grief of losing their mom. And then the experience that Peter has of grief, like when his father has abandoned his family. So they're kind of trying to find themselves, but pretending that this big part of them doesn't exist. And I one of the things I love about this film is that um, it really chooses to show that experience of like Perception versus reality through a number of different layers, their relationships, their social, social situations, the contract relationship that they make for themselves, which I, I have more to say on that one later, but, you know, um, so just that contract in general, but also, um, the ways in which they, they kind of play act knowing how to be in the world and who like how to navigate what's expected of them, uh, and through that, I think we find this interesting vulnerability, but yeah, like this perception versus reality, the Instagram stories, the contract, their conversations their their text message conversations it really A
0: hand in the back pocket yes <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah, so cheesy yeah. but so
1: cute, right
0: you say it's vulnerable, but at the same time we 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 find Laura Jean to be quite insightful and wise for her age, right? Kind of going through this internal maturation process. And mm-hmm. even though she's a teenager, she's probably gone through, her character has gone through so much uh, trauma in a way. Yeah. And as she, she, for her, and there was one scene where, and we'll talk about favorite scenes, but there was a scene where in the beginning, in the first movie, where um, Peter and Laura Jean are having, I think, many, many dinners at the diner, the famous diner mm-hmm. that keep going back to. Peter asks her, essentially asks her, you know, why haven't you had a boyfriend up to this point? Because you've been, I think at this point, he understands by way of her love letter, she's an incredibly romantic person. Mm -hmm. So, he's kind of questioning like, how could you write something like this but not never having a partner? And she explains to him, listen, I mean, I all the people that I have grown so fondly close to, I have lost. And that is one is her mother. And I, I think I forgot to mention in the synopsis is that her, her mother is, um, has passed away before the movie starts. So, um, we don't ever get to see or meet the, the mother. And then also her older sister, who she's extremely close with, but, uh, she is going away to college over in Scotland. And so the, the two central figures in her life are essentially, you know, one is, has taken away from her. One is choosing to go away from mm-hmm. her. And this is just from her perspective. So, she, because of that hurt, she's just like, I can't stand, I, I would not be able to live on the fact of allowing a, a partner it, romantically, knowing that they could possibly leave me. Definitely. I and
1: mean, this, the sense of like risk is such a big part of the movie too. You know, um, we have this backdrop of adolescent love. We have the sense of, uh, coming of age. There's uh, social representation and through this like discovery of risk, um, I think Lara Jean and even Peter kind of learn um how to become self-aware and and express yeah. themselves in a way that's really interesting um you know they navigate these communities and in our worlds I think that communities in our lives tend to put a lot of uh, emphasis on uh watching how we talk about love, how we talk about commitment and these kinds of elements, but, you know, these structures of emotions that carry us through that really, um, get at the heart of risk and fear, which is, you know, really pivotal to Lara Jean's character, I think in, in a way. Um, and, and I think we can relate to that. That's one of the reasons we relate to Lara Jean's character, but those structures of emotion are always reminding us to, to weigh the voices inside of us against all the noise outside and throughout This discourse on risk, um, and this specific conversation about, well, it's just safer to like daydream in my head and, you know, read these romance novels. Yeah. Yeah, like she can live in that. She can fully control that in her entire world. And I think the film does a really wonderful job of world building with Lara Jean's character because we're so fully enmeshed in her world in her room. You know, the, the background of her room. It's such a perfect little like sanctuary, the letters she writes, the books she reads, that world building, we're there in her world. I wouldn't want to leave that and risk, you know, heartbreak either. (laughs) And so I think we really, we understand that aspect of risk. And that moment of um, navigating risk, I think really carries us through all three of the films.
0: And, And here's the other thing about it. It's incredibly messy. Love is incredibly messy. If Laura Jean was to keep these letters and never send them out, by the way, I mean, The MVP should be Kitty. I know, right? She's fantastic. (laughs) It it all falls on her. It all falls on her. She had not sent the letters out that we would not be talking or not having these movies. But um, it it reminds us of how messy these things are because with these letters, her emotions are perfectly encapsulated. And it's really one-sided because she is able to dictate how she feels and it lives internally in this confined uh, environment of by way of this letter but as soon as it gets out into the real world then we're dealing we're opening the door to human emotion we're kneeling, we're opening the door to reaction and we see that with josh and 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 peter and then john ambrose and all these things and it reminds us it's like you know laura jean what what is she going to do in these situation mm-hmm. um, but at the same time as messy it, it, as it is we see throughout the whole series is it, there are moments that that messiness is almost justified, yeah. and that messiness is rewarded when that person, you know, reciprocates that love, it, but in a very very adolescent context. Which you know, in in these adolescent teen rom coms, the 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 themes and the and the emotions are always universal, but mm-hmm. it's so dialed up to eleven because it's high school.
1: Yes, like we're in high school. Everything <laughs>
0: is like. Wearing our hearts on our sleeves, and that's what's yep. <laughs> you know, that's what's like distinct about these teen uh, teen rom coms.
1: Definitely, and I think in a way, I think that's part of the appeal of, of this this particular series and the popularity of of teen rom coms in general right now. Which I think this series does really well. You know, when else do we ever get to be this like vulnerable? When else can we give into this um, this this belief that the present moment matters so much, you know, uh, as adults, we're all bogged down with work and bills and deadlines <laughs> and laundry, Boo. right? All this stuff you don't Boo want. adulthood, <laughs> right? Everyone else would rather go to the diner and pick a random song on that jukebox, you know, and, and have this kind of exciting love and potential. That One of the things I, I really appreciated about this is that Kitty specifically represents the, the sort of boldness and courage of potential and this like love of life, you know, Um Without her living
0: consequence free, just yes. going with whatever. <laughs>
1: there would be, and you know, she's there would be no uh, Peter and Lara Jean if not for Kitty sending those letters out. And at the end, there would be no Peter and Lara Jean if not for Kitty, you know. Um, sorry, spoilers, but you know, it, it, she wouldn't have gone to the tent, you know, if not for Kitty, even in those last moments. And I don't think she would have contemplated the, the possibilities of long distance love if not for Kitty either, you know, meeting the, meeting the boy in Seoul when she went there. Mm. So Kitty, yes, she's, she's, she's a firecracker.
0: Let's go into our Love It and Leave It segment. So, Saba, what's one thing that you loved about the movie and then one, uh, but of the series and one thing that you, you'd leave?
1: Okay. So, you know, um, broadly what I love about the series is that it just, it feels so cozy that it lets you explore these bigger, harder, more difficult concepts without fear. You know, you're not like, um, we're not talking about issues of social justice. We're not dealing with the big issues of racial bias or class, uh, conflict or any of these other things. We're just cozy. We can explore everything in the space that's, like, safe. It's like a little bubble. So I like the overall mode of this, and I appreciated that. And Margot, I just I, – I, I, she needs her own story. I just need Margot's story, <laughs> you know.
0: Um, Lots of spin-offs possible with yes. this series.
1: <laughs> Margot and Kitty, we need their stories. Yeah. But um, my, my, I guess my controversial opinion or what I didn't necessarily love, something that I would, would, would question, um, you know, the – Peter was a really great character, but he wasn't necessarily the best boyfriend. You know, there were mm. so many interesting things. I I could have taken him or, or not. <laughs> you know, I mean, and mm. I love I love their story and I think their story is very necessary, but um and, and I think the the film does a really nice job of of playing with it. Um the reason I resisted um Peter's character a little bit is that there is this kind of strange aspect of whitewashed suburbia that we kind of get, um, through that. And I, I kind of resisted it. I wish there was, I love that there's representation. I wish that there was a little bit more nuanced reflection of the, um, uh, uh of those factors in, in their world. Although I did appreciate the moments of celebration. So some aspects of Peter, um, his, his, there's some cardboardness <laughs> about him, so that I would that I would leave. But I, I like Peter, and the actor did a nice job. <laughs> so
0: okay, okay, fair point. Okay, so my love it and leave it. So I loved how all three films is really mm-hmm. able to capture the the high school romance that doesn't paint it in a way that's too unrealistic or absurd. Yeah. Yes, the the stakes of it are presented in in each movie can be far fetched. But that's what, you know, makes a rom-com a rom-com, honestly. But mm-hmm. through it all, it does well with having us invest in the Covey family, feeling, really feeling all the endearing facets of their dynamic, their family dynamic and relationships, right? All while us sitting in the passenger seat of Laura Jean's love situationships. Mm-hmm. So, we're just kind of being there to see her kind of go through this growing process. Um The Leave It. So, I think between all three films... I felt like the th- the second one the love triangle was not as compelling as as I had hoped it would be and I never felt like she was ever going to leave Peter like yeah. I just felt so secure with Peter I was like okay I get it like John Avross is like this good looking guy he says what's up and he's like trying to make a move on her but I never felt like she was going to leave Peter and I know maybe that's not the point. The point is like, <laughs> oh, you know, they're they're like the it couple. They can get through it all. Another thing, I I'll, I'll have another leave I will leave it 1A too. This is like a small thing is that Trevor, who's uh one of the side characters who tries to pursue Chris Christie? Yeah. Think, played by Ross Butler. Look, I'm all for Asian men getting roles and representation, but I'm sorry. He was clearly way too old to play a high school yes. student.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree. Like,
0: He was way too old. When I saw him, I was like, that dude is at least 30 years old. Like in this movie, he's at least 30 years old. So I think they could have done a better job in casting a younger Asian male. I mean, they should, they should have at least found another one. That was just for me. I was like, that guy's way too old. <laughs>
1: He made some interesting casting decisions, some of which I really liked and some of which I, I agree with you. He, he definitely looked too old to be in high school. So although he can have his own spinoff, too. I liked him, too. <laughs> so so
0: your, your take with uh, in terms of Peter, do you think it was Noah uh, Centineo's portrayal of Peter or the way Peter was written?
1: Well, I mean, I think it has, I don't think it's the actors. um, I don't think there was a flaw in the actor's representation because I think he did a really fine job of presenting this charming, somewhat sensitive young man. I mean, for a, for a jock he's pretty sensitive right you know like we're supposed to see the on-screen jocks as like you know not very sensitive at all especially the popular ones and yet you know when when lara jean tells him that she's been masquerading as having gotten into stanford when she didn't you know the first thought is oh my god he's going to be mad and his first question is hold on how are you are you okay you know yeah um, and so I really, I liked that. So I don't think the actor's portrayal um, was, was what made me uh, question that. It's just, I think that for me, uh, the rom-com was necessary. The romance was necessary. But for me, the story was about Lara Jean discovering who she is. And, um, and, and you know, the, for me, the first movie felt like, who is she in life? Who are you in life? And with the second, you know, who is she in love? And, you know, what what does that mean for her? And with a third, who are you in in your future? These were, like, the big questions that were driving her. And so even though John Ambrose was, like, kind of like the on-paper-perfect kind of guy, even he, it didn't matter. He still seemed a little cardboard because all those questions of romance took a backseat for me to Lara Jean's Mm -hmm. development of herself in love and herself in that space. And so, you know, if we we had cast this differently where it was – a young Asian man who was pursuing a number of, of white female characters, you know, or, um, that and interesting. That would be, <laughs> you know, I mean, it would be like Master of None or something, right? You know, yeah, which yeah, yeah. I, I have issues with that, you know, but there was, you know, there's some interesting way of, of spinning it so that we're looking at, uh, the female perspective where, um, I think Asian women on screen and just, in, 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 you know, depictions in Hollywood and often in media don't get the kind of agency or control that they get. And here we have a character who is choosing, I'm going to hide my relationship from this guy. You know, if it was a man on screen doing that would be like, Oh, what a dog, you know, but we see Lara Jean doing it. We're like, Oh, she's just figuring herself out. You know, it's kind of sweet. We're okay with that. So, I mean, uh, I don't think it was the actor. I think all the male characters you know, just take a backseat in general to her. They just kind of um, she shines brighter than they do, but she needs them in order to shine too. If that makes sense,
0: right? I mean, Josh completely just disappeared after the first movie. Yes! I mean, I don't know what <laughs> happens to him. There's no, there's no purpose to him anymore. But. Yeah, it was interesting to see that he was just kind of written away and just disappeared.
1: And it was exceptionally strange because he was such an important part of their family. And he just disappeared. I agree. He totally disappeared. And it was weird because he even stood up for, he even stood up for Lara Jean with Peter when he came to talk. It was a little bit, it was too possessive big brother in that moment, you know, but, but there was something there that shows how integrated he was in their family and to have him disappear. And then to have trina appear and trina was similarly kind of a stock character in many ways you know she could have been like we didn't get her interior life at all or her her internal life like josh you know they were just kind of
0: plot devices so yeah they were plot devices i would have liked to see a little bit more i think they attempted that in the third film obviously when the father you know falls in love with her and she becomes she has more lines and she becomes kind of like that Missing motherly figure that we didn't get in the first two movies, obviously, um, trying to be, you know, the, the best stepmom that she could possibly be. But clearly, this woman has a lot of wisdom and she connects well with the family you know, I, I was kind of curious in terms of what about her, what's her story? Is there anything that we could, could we get some scenes or moments to to kind of mm-hmm. develop her character a little bit to help us understand why the Covey family love, love her so much? Again, maybe not non-essential, I think it would just would have been a nice little, you know, uh, cherry on top.
1: I agree. Yeah. And I think it, it might have made, you know, some of the some of the reviews I read, I agree with, uh, with your read that, you know, the first one had the strongest reviews, the second kind of a little bit less, and the third even less than that one. Um, which, which is interesting because, um, I had a lot of thoughts about the third movie. It, it wasn't the strongest movie, but it was my favorite of, of the three, you know, weirdly, yeah, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. I don't, I don't think it was the strongest movie, but there were so many interesting elements there. And I think if, um, if Trina's character had been developed a little bit more, if Josh's character had been developed a little bit more, that last movie, I think might've been, um, a little bit more, um, might've had the same kind of depth that we have in the first film, you know, cause I think she just kind of joins their family and she's just part of their journey, but she's in the background and she has this interesting moment of like being a stepmom and talking to Lara Jean and, um, and, and it's really sweet, but she could have been just anyone. I mean, what about her backstory makes her uniquely suited to that situation?
0: Yeah. I mean, and the director's James. Uh, it was, um, I'm, I was pulling up his name, Michael Fumunari. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hopefully you're pronouncing it, who, who directed, who was the director of photography uh, in the first one and then became the director in the second and third one. I felt that, like you kind of stemming, jumping off of what you said in terms of the development of Trina, the dad, and and even little Peter and everything, it felt like they were holding back a lot of this development in the second movie. So, that way, they they put all their bets into the oh. third movie, knowing that it was the third and final movie. Like, that's the sense that I kind of got, that they kind of held back a little bit and say, let's just lean on this love triangle aspect. It's all about John Ambrose and and Laura Jean's, you know, dilemma of which one she's going to choose yada 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 and then the third one was like okay now we are seeing now you've grown to love these characters now it's kind of at that time to see what how would they how do they respond to like the real world we're going outside of portland we're going outside of adler high school i think if they had balanced that a little bit more to take some of those elements in the third one and bring that into the second one it would have just been a little bit more of I felt like it would have just been a little bit more of a consistent yes. feel throughout all three, yeah. three movies. I would say the moment that did it for me was kind of like, okay, this is the weakest of the three. It was when I think it was at the ending is when Laura Jean and Peter kiss and they start to float up. Yes. into the Yes. I was kind of
1: like, <laughs> mm, yep. was that
0: necessary?
1: Yep. And it was the weakest of her, of her daydreams, you know, in the first movie and the third movie, her daydreams are so vivid and we're totally there. And in that one, not so much. <laughs> so, and that movie, like that moment, what you just described, I think, you know, really it, it triggers for me in my mind, other things that are missing in the second movie. Um, in that, you know, she's in, um, a senior citizen's home, like taking care of all these older people. And she's got this character, this, this woman stormy, who's like larger than life and so big and, you know, filled with all this energy. And there are some really missed opportunities I think for uh for for Lara Jean to reminisce or think a little bit about her mother. I think you know she she references her just mm. a little bit, but to know that she's in this place with all these people and her mother's died so young and has never had a chance to offer her these other kinds of elements of wisdom, I think that would have brought some more insight into the battle she's having between choosing. Between John Ambrose and Peter Kavinsky, um, you know, because part of choosing who she wants to love is, is, is choosing how she wants to see her potential as a partner for another mm. person, um, and in, a, in a life that could turn out this way. And, um, so I think there were some missed opportunities that could have really, uh, come to the forefront in that second movie.
0: Uh, let's go through favorite scenes. You mentioned it in terms of the contract scene, it kind of ties into, Peter confronts Laura Jean for the first time on the track after receiving her letter. And I just love the fact that she's just like, she's like, what, what are you talking about? And starting, it's like starting to like connect in her mind and you see her start to, oh no. And then she just passes out on the floor. Boom, lights out. (laughs) Um, I love that scene. But then it kind of goes into the contract portion of it where they're starting to set the terms of their fake relationship. Talk to me in terms of what you took out of that scene.
1: So I loved that scene. That was probably the fact that they had a contract was so delightful to me. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just an Epic nerd or something. That's okay. I'm all right with that. But you know, I think we see the contract relationship in so many different kinds of Asian cinema and TV and dramas. You'll find it in Korean dramas. You'll find it in Indian dramas. You'll find it in Pakistani dramas. You'll find it in various stories. But the idea of the arrangement um that makes a relationship mm. or a situation, I think that that you see it like across all of, uh in many aspects of, of, of Asian literature and cinema. And so I really liked that. And I liked that they brought that into like an American context in a way that was was interesting, um, by honoring the contract or creating a contract, they are essentially rejecting whatever is impressed upon them by society, those kinds of expectations. And they're building what they want for themselves, which is like the safe space and the safe bubble for them to learn who they are. There's no way they could have built that kind of intimacy that they had if they did not have these ground rules kind of laid out because there would always be this uncertainty. In terms of who they were, um, yeah. to each other in this, where is the line between fake and real, you know, in that particular space? So mm-hmm. by spelling out what's expected, I think they're modeling good communication in some ways and doing so, um, um, in a way that I think honors and considers, um, uh, heritage and backgrounds and, and backdrops. So I love the contract and I love that there's a contract at the very end, like in the third movie where they're trying to make sense of where they're going and what they're doing with it. So it brought that kind of full circle for me, but it, it was an empowering moment. And so I really, I know it's like, Oh, contracts, it's legal. It's not romantic. There is kind of something romantic in choosing where your boundaries are too. You know
0: <laughs> what I also, what I, where I really took out of that was, we all do that in some sense in uh, one way yeah. or another, right? When we think about social contracts, when when we engage with someone romantically or non-romantically, but in a context of in a romantic partnership, we we start to set those terms, right? In the getting to know you phase. Like, what do you like? This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I expect out of a relationship. This is what you expect out of a relationship. And we go through that process. We don't write it down. Right. But I think the movie <laughs> does poke fun of reality, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Like Laura Jean does poke fun at realities. like these are the things that people do uh, that you you kind of sit down and then you metaphorically, you sign your name into this contract when you're getting um uh, getting in a relationship with someone. So I just thought that that was so clever how they kind of put that and put that in a literal sense in the movie
1: and and so much more interesting i think than like oh first base second base third base you know whatever which we often see in like you know a teen rom-coms with this obsession of how other people see your sense of progress and for them they weren't they weren't gauging progress in like this social climb or some kind of um upward trajectory but uh but the parameters around which they were going to get to know each other and you know if you don't make your own Uh, contract, you are accepting other people's contracts. I love that, that you pointed that out. I mean, you know, and they, in some ways, you know, um, the actions that we see happen after the, um, the, the, the video that comes up, right. You know, they're having all these conversations about the Instagram photos and he, I think he calls her Bay at one point and she calls him a dork because he says that, you know, and, and then she talks about how she doesn't want to put his picture on her profile because she doesn't want her sister to see it, right? And I think there is that, that conversation uh, among adolescents but also older people um that are in relationships you know when do you go public with your life you know is it
0: yeah it's so, <laughs> so- strange it's so strange yeah and i i thought that was so funny too because that is not an exclusive high school thing no. people do that all the time people you could be in a very serious relationship and have zero pictures of your partner and yes. then you could always there's always the debate of like okay if they're important in your life it, it just depends on how you utilize social media and what kind of persona you choose to display on social media Mm -hmm. um you could say like if you don't have your partner on there like why are you hiding them but at the same time they could argue well my life isn't revolve around having a partner you know showing them or all this stuff
1: and they and they pick it up again in the third movie when they're talking about like you know being in new york and spending the day apart and like uh, taking videos and photos and sending them to each other too, and so it it comes back to that question in a different way in the third movie. But I, I like that. I like the contract and, and the Instagram stuff. It was fun.
0: That was another thing about this. Was one thing where I was kind of like eh, about in the third movie is when they get separated into groups to go yeah. on the tour around New York, and Peter is like upset that they they don't get to spend one day apart from each other i'm like come on dude it's it's one day I think right. he's, he's okay <laughs>
1: he's a he's he's a little clingy <laughs> in those moments he's a little clingy.
0: Sure. yeah you, we we learn later okay he's got abandonment issues yeah. he's got you know attachment <laughs> issues from his parents okay we, okay i get that but He's a little clingy. He's showing (laughs) signs of like stage five clinger for sure.
1: And it's interesting to see that the other way, that it's the man who's clingy and not the woman. Yeah. Right? You know, because rom coms usually depict it the other way. So
0: Right. Exactly. Um another scene that I would love to get your take on is the it's kind of a bit of a meta moment too is when they're watching 16 candles yes! and the scene that they and the scene they show of 16 candles in the scene that we're talking about is when with uh the Long Duck Dong character in the movie the highly offensive caricature mm-hmm. uh um, in that movie um But just to kind of describe it, they're watching the they're watching the scene, and Peter's looking at it. He's like, "Isn't you know the portrayal of Long Duck Dong kind of racist?" And Laura Jean's like, "It's not kind of, it's very racist." (laughs) But at the same time, they love the movie. They're still watching it, and Kitty is doesn't even like she disregards the fact. You know, I I think for me, to me, it says it's mentioning and, and highlighting the fact that you know obviously Hollywood has had a bad track record of Asian representation when it comes to these movies in the past, and hopefully. You know, we're not dealing with that. Maybe we're not dealing with that explicitly today. But it also recognizes the amount the, the soft power Hollywood has in being able to influence so many audiences through storytelling that even uh, for someone like Kitty and Laura Jean, who is of Asian descent, they say, you know what, but I'm still, I'm growing up in a world now that the the romance and the, and the tone of a movie like 16 Candles is something I gravitate more towards.
1: Yeah. Well, I I mean that I think you can't miss that scene. It's such an important moment in um in the first film. And I wish that there were moments of self-awareness like that in the second and third film or more moments right. like that in those other films because you know the very first moment when they're writing the contract and you know Lara Jean is saying, "Oh, you have to watch this John Hughes movie." I'm like, "Really?" uh oh <laughs> you know
0: where is <laughs> that gonna like, go does does he have to <laughs>
1: yeah, right but the race element is such a big one i'm gonna come back to that but also the gender element when it comes to that as well um you know because if you go back and watch some some of those movies from the 80s you know women have no agency and i think the the film yeah. series does a really good job of turning that part on its head and i think it points out to us how much more um i think Hollywood needs to evolve in terms of how it portrays and, uh, and engages with the Asian American experiences of peoples. Right. You know, and we, we have thankfully gone away from the awful offensive caricature. Like no one, no person, it's impossible to watch that film and not think, wow, what, what was, you know, how was this acceptable? That was really bad. Right. And, and in a way it's like, it's, it's nice that we can say how was this ever acceptable because it means it's not anymore, right? Right. And yet, you know, I think there is still um a, there's still some problematic racial stuff going on in in even this series. Like I was so excited to see representation of Asian people, Asian American people in this film and their their experience of Asianness is not what the movie's about, right? You know, they don't have to be cultural ambassadors. That's not their only function. They're not reduced to that. Um, and their only function is not reduced to social justice. Now I think social justice is very important and we have to be aware of it, but if it's the only thing we ever encounter, uh, white people on screen doing, it becomes problematic as well. So I liked that, you know, just seeing them as people on the screen was, was an option for us. And having that moment there What was telling to me was the relationship between Kitty's response to that scene and Lara Jean's response. Lara Jean says in another section of the film, something that resonates with this this scene for me, she says, you don't have to hate everything just about a thing, right? So I think she recognizes there's a lot that she can appreciate and love in this movie, while also recognizing that there's this really problematic, you know, damaged angle here that that needs to be changed and it speaks to her her optimism her sensibility her hope that you know people can just be better and maybe our hope that hollywood can be better you know In the it's future. interesting
0: it's interesting because it's like you have a scene with an asian character where there's another asian character reacting to another yeah. asian character in a way in, in such a way where it's almost like whatever in a way it's like yeah it's very racist and let's move on from it kind of thing and then for us as asian people reacting to that asian person reacting to that asian character in 16 candles it's like to see the d- many layers going from yeah. Uh, oh yeah you know like it, it's a, it is a super meta moment and it yes. also shows how how far we've progressed almost kind of like where laura jean basically says like we can recognize it's very racist, but we can also still enjoy the movie. If you happen to still like the movie, it does not mean that you're supporting racism. Exactly.
1: Or you're, you're, mm-hmm.
0: you're, you're, you're like upholding the system. It's just like, it's just a movie. It came out during a time where that was generally accepted or okay with. But now we know that it is very not okay. Right. I mean, okay in terms of the general public, but obviously not okay for Asian people. But um, we didn't have that. Large of a voice, you know, yes. and people weren't willing to listen to us at that time
1: and and she reasserts the fact that we don't have to perform our experiences of trauma or microaggression for a white audience who's going to be like, "Oh, aren't you horrified? Well, this happens like once a day in my life, so yes, but you know that kind of like we've we've grown up seeing it, we're used to it we're it, we're not aghast because we, we know that it happens. We're not okay with it, but it's not novelty in that moment. And I think, um, what's normalized is that people can have nuanced responses to things that are based in their own uh, sensibility rather than in, you know, uh, challenging a cultural Uh, problem right like she can Mm -hmm. respond to it as a person in that moment and even kitty is free to be like oh whatever this other character's hot you know (laughs) that kind of thing um and and that also brings up another like moment i think I, i read some some interesting reviews about the film and the conversation that we have about the fact that you know there is this disneyfication of their background right the father is kind of um, he's there, but he's not super in, involved or effective in a way. He's kind yeah, of yeah.
0: He, he's timely. He comes in when he needs to be. Right? He's just like he eavesdrops at the right moment. Yeah, <laughs> right? He, just <laughs> but, to kind of give that fatherly advice. Yes,
1: and the mother the mother is gone. You know, and that's a very typical Disney trope that's going on right there. And you have these characters who are who are very Asian American, but they never contend with their sort of hybrid identity given the fact that they're you know the the mother is Asian American the father is white American they don't ever really talk about that or deal with it and i think there was a, a moment there where they maybe could have talked about it in that scene where, you know, but it would have been too much. Like, I think it wouldn't have fit in the teen rom-com cozy world of sugar cookie. It would have thrown the whole
0: tone uh, of the movie off.
1: Right. But I, but I think something so simple as like, here is this horribly offensive caricature that we should all recognize as problematic. We're all aware of it. Let's talk about the fact that we can grow from that, you know, like I think that covers a lot of those things.
0: Any any favorite scenes of yours that you wanted to talk about?
1: The I loved her cleaning her room. Like it was such an interesting moment. Like you know, she's got this incredibly opulent room and I was obsessed with it. Like every time I've seen the movie I'm like, look at how much of herself she's put into creating this space, you know. And if, and and um the walls are painted in a very art you know, intricate manner. We've got books laid out in a particular space. Everything is very carefully curated, much the same way she bakes things or makes cookies or writes letters and everything has like a purpose and she refuses to clean her room or put her stuff away throughout the whole first film. They're telling her, clean your room, put your stuff away. You know, like there's like maybe five or six instances where people are telling her to do that. And then there's a moment where she's really distraught and starts to clean Up her room and process what's going Mm. on. And I thought that was a really interesting moment because we're seeing this character uh, sort out and separate and process the things that are around her and it shows something about that character and the way she's absorbing all of these things and then finding her agency within them. Finding her ability to Mm -hmm. edit and choose her path, what she wants, how she wants to be. So I love that moment (laughs) when they're in the car and Drinking the Yakult, and um, Peter is not grossed out by it. And I, you know, I think for most Asian American people who have grown up in America, you know at least in the eighties and the nineties, if you bring your traditional food to school, someone's going to make fun of you, you know, although that's not the case for the, you know, Gen Z folks nowadays, but the, to see that normalized, Oh, this is different, but I'm appreciating it, you know, rather than, Oh, it's different. Ew. You know, like I think that moment to me was really interesting. Um, so the way in the ways in which the film, um, Sort of took these moments that are kind of stereotypical and turned them on their heads. I think I loved those the most. They were my favorites. And the the text exchanges when we see Lara Jean's face and we're reading on screen the emojis that she's selecting or the images that she's looking at, the conversation she's having about the conversation that she's having in the film, right? Like it's three degrees removed, but it, it kind of reminds us of the various levels of. I don't know, metacognitive sort of discourse that we have when we're making sense of our lives or metanarrative, you know, uh, experiences that we have when we're engaging with multiple cultural spaces.
0: Fun fact that I guess after this movie came out, the first film, the, the occult s- sales spiked.
1: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so which awesome. is a
0: classic example of how like a movie can actually have real world effect.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I think for me, what I really do like about this film, if if there's a big takeaway in the grand scheme of things, is how it does normalize. It kind of does more accurately depict a uh, an Asian American experience, certainly that I've had, because growing up in my adolescent years, I never had to... Um, never had not not had to, but I never quite realized I came to the point point in my life where I was trying to deal with you know my uh, duality of being an American yeah. and also Asian American and social justice issues. I was not thinking about this <laughs> at all when I was like in high school and seventeen. Same. Actually, I was just <laughs> quick uh, digression. Is I, I did this um, interview with this youth activist who was part of this youth program. And she was just talking about social justice and mm-hmm. environmental issues and um, systemic racism and all these things at 17. Wow. <laughs> that's I was like, intense. I know, it's kind of intense. I was kind of hoping, I didn't want to tell her how to, to live her life, but I was also kind of feeling like, I hope this is not the only thing you thought, yeah. you're thinking about at 17. Yeah. So, um, which it's like a good and bad thing, right? But what Laura Jean and, and the tone of this movie is a little bit more accurate and resonates with me because this is kind of what I had to do with.
1: And what I love that you said that, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like it, it, this movie resonated a lot with me too, in a lot of ways, because, you know, uh, growing up in high school and being in a, a pre nine 11 world. I think changed a lot of things. This movie felt very much like a pre-9-11 world in terms mm. of its experience of race. And, you know, I think, um, if I remember correctly, the author is maybe, um, you know, Gen X kind of, uh, Gen X kind of person. So that experience, um, ties back to that. I think, you know, that, that, um, the world where race is not this embattled kind of difficult topic, I think I, was always aware of my own background and my own heritage, but I didn't feel the need to wear it on my sleeve or talk about it in yes. the same way Um, that I think Gen Z people <laughs> kind of don't have any other choice but to do. And I, I it's mm-hmm. got to be tiring. And I think we one of the uh, things that is so appealing about these movies is that we get to set down so much that's wrong with the world right now. And just be in this cozy bubble where you, you can explore these, these softer, more tender experiences, um, where, where that's not just in your face all the time.
0: Annie's Tea Cakes is an Oakland based food company on a mission to provide plant based Chinese food options to the world. As a long-time plant-based eater, Annie started this business to create a way for herself and others to enjoy the foods often shared with family but don't fit a plant-based diet. The journey started with vegan Taiwanese pineapple cakes. Follow Annie's Tea Cakes on Instagram or go to anniesteacakes.com to place your order today. I want to talk a little bit Uh, about the chemistry between Laura Jean and Peter, especially with these two characters um, who could very easily fall into an archetype that we're so familiar with. We have Laura Jean who's at first the girl that got her head, her head is in the clouds and she's never had a boyfriend. And, you know, we kind of get this sense that people, you know, don't, take her seriously or she's unpopular compared to jen who is the popular girl but then we slowly see how insightful and wise and mature and how grown up she is and then we have peter who's you know we are introduced as the jock and at first i'm thinking okay peter is going to be the typical jock Mm -hmm. unlikable put on this pedestal but he was not that he actually had some depth and substance to his character and i think there were moments where I felt like I was able to empathize with Peter on some level.
1: I liked the fact that he wasn't the stereotypical jock that you're going to find in most CW shows, even, you know, like, you know, he's, um, he, he had this, this other side to him, this other dimension to him that he was able to express. And I liked that, you know, Lara Jean was able to identify her being in her, like, I really, you know, Connected with with this this character, <laughs> Lara Jean, in many ways, you know, I'm also one of these in my head, you know, sort of people all the time. But you know, she's not the stereo, the cultural stereotype of the docile, unopinionated, cerebral, subservient type a Asian. Someone called me that once, and I just remember thinking, "Oh God," you know. But what? you know that she's not that. You know, she's she is that, but she's not that. At the same time, she's like a fully formed person and um and we understand that grief is her reason for like you mm. know being in her head all the time because it's safe in her head and that's something that that transcends you know cultural stereotype that's just a human thing and so seeing her you know go through this aspect of grief go through this aspect of like you know um risk um and and pay attention to this like risk versus reward exposure versus bravado it made her really um relatable i think to a lot of people because of her motivation and it was such an interesting moment to encounter jen um who's your she, she's not your typical mean girl because there's a reason she's mad at lara jean right she's mad that lara jean's kissed her boyfriend you know long ago and she's right. holding a grudge. and it should be
0: pointed out they used to be friends right? Jen and lara jean they used to be friends
1: right and so there's this interesting like space there which allows them to, to transcend just issues of social status and coolness and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and they get to just be people. Uh, and you know, and it's, it's interesting to me that Josh and Peter were both interchangeable and not interchangeable at the same time you know like <laughs> i
0: kind of forgot i was like who's who again <laughs> <The
1: first. laughs> right because oh there's one guy who's at the house now there's another guy who's at the house but you know there's there's some some interesting nuances um in that space there too um they they could have been the same person but they were not and um you know and i think we we see that in the conflict with, with Margot, with the sister when she comes home as well you know, Peter, it's he's not a hothead for once, you know. It's it he's not yeah. the one who's he's not the one making all the the drama, <laughs> you know. So
0: I also like how through their relationship, Laura Jean sets the terms, yeah. either directly or indirectly. She essentially more or less is in control of her Agency in, in the mm-hmm. in the relationship, and yes, there are some some needs and and some wants that Peter has, but he respects her space. Yes, what I thought was really interesting was that sex was not really a, a a focal point or even a topic up until the third movie. Yes, and really, it was not mentioned until the very end of the movie where they finally lose their virginity to each other. But throughout the whole time, I was kind of wondering. I was like, did they? like they have sex i mean they've been together for a while wow. and they, you just uh, automatically assume these teen dramas you know hormones and all that stuff they kind of want to they get rancy but no they and then she points out she's like oh actually we've never had sex and and she's like saying you know and i have to imagine it's because she set the terms mm-hmm. and to also on the other other side of it to show that Peter is not forcing, because that's the other thing about his character is that you get the typical jock who's just sex crazed. All he wants to do is plant his seeds everywhere Mm -hmm. and all this stuff, but he is not (laughs) that right. And of course he wants to, but uh, he he's also very respectful of, of, of of Laura Jean and also in the first attempt when they were um, about to have sex. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The hot tub scene. And then also, also the, the time after prom, right? He, he, mm-hmm. You know, he he also shows that his he's not in the right mental space for her because he's still, you know, not over the fact that she chose NYU over Berkeley.
1: I love that. You know, I love the. Yeah, you know, I thought when I first when I first saw the movie when I encountered the hot tub scene, I wasn't sure what to think. You know, had they done that? Had they not? Had she actually made? An accidental pornographic film, you know, is that what's <laughs> yeah. been exposed here? You know, and then – and she points it out very clearly that she's accidentally made a sex tape even though she's never had sex, you know. Which, you know, so she points it out. And Peter is not the one who um, who coerces her into it. You know, I think often in teen rom-coms, it's like, we're on a school trip. You were expected to do this because you're my girlfriend, you know. And he never presses yeah. her. And
0: the parents are gone. Time to do it.
1: Right. <laughs> you know, but he never – pressures her. And even in the um even in the spin the bottle moment she had choice there too. She had a choice to do to do that or not do that. Um and I, I like that about um about Peter's character quite a bit. And I like that the male characters were not so aggressive with their sexuality, um and, and so um and challenging of, of the boundaries set by the women um in, in the series.
0: They showed compassion. Which, which I thought was very important to portray that, um, especially amongst teenage boys, right? It's showing yeah. a different type of masculinity that is, that is often portrayed and, and should be portrayed more. And I thought that was a very, one of the things that I thought was really important and great.
1: And it's so, it's shown as strength, not as weakness. And I really love that because I think that so often, um, in that machismo the bravado the alpha male right that kind of stuff that toxic masculinity is depicted as strength well restraint isn't and in these instances we see that through introspection um the strength came uh, came through like that it's a choice to um open yourself up to another person or not and i love that the seeing that aspect of masculinity have strength at its core and restraint built into that strength too
0: what about this teen rom-com resonates with, can resonate with all different types of people? Because I mentioned it earlier, sometimes teen rom-coms, like the the, the type of rom-coms where they, they write it in a way where it's what adults think teens go through and it, yeah. and it so, it's portrayed in a very reductive manner. So, it boils down to just like the archetypes. We talked about the sex craze jock, the... Mm-hmm sometimes prude you know uh female protagonists and then and then you have like the evil mean girl but right. <laughs> what's great is that it really does not do that in this film um it kind of gives me vibes of of the half of it yes um, but it's these t- teen rom-coms have such a mature tone to them yeah sometimes more mature than a lot of adult rom-coms out there
1: yes definitely no, i completely agree with you i love that you made that connection right because the half of it is so different from this like in terms of its tone in terms of its energy and yet there is this interesting maturity that is resonant in both of these um uh, both of these instances or depictions on the screen you have these characters who have um an inner strength I think, which is really, really interesting an inner strength, which does not portray them as victims, which does not portray them as just victimized by society. And I think that so many times, um, you know, so much of the representation that we see of teens, um, in, in YA spaces, in, uh, in romantic comedies, it, reductiveness is, um, is shorthand, but this this series and the half of it as well showed the inner lives of these people as nuanced and careful and thoughtful and, 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 you know, filled with many layers rather than just, Mm -hmm. it's not just how can I look pretty for the boys at the party? But you know, right. she did. You know, there's or like, how many girls' numbers can I get while I drink, have play beer pong yeah. while my parents are away? You know,
0: yeah. <laughs> like, or let me try to lose my virginity or underage drinking and like all these things.
1: Like, right. and there were those opportunities in this movie for that that kind of stuff to happen in in just the first film itself. So many of those opportunities, and the film took a, a more interesting response to it, and I think it took these young people and depicted them as, as not frivolous, as serious, as, as worthwhile, as meaningful. And I think it speaks to adults in a way because it reminds us, um, that of potential, the potential that we have in our lives. You know, when we're young, I think there's this, this sense of a possibility that's out there of choices and what to do with those choices. And you know, when we're teenagers, we don't feel like we're ridiculous caricatures of ourselves, you know? Like I certainly took my life seriously when I was young, even though, you know, me today would probably look at high school me and be like, mm, was that was that issue really as important as you thought it was? But I think that these um these depictions, they they do have wisdom, they have compassion, they have um insight, they have awareness. And I don't know if it's because Some, because our protagonists are dealing with big, heavy things in themselves, right? They're not, you know, grief is a big thing. It it haunts everything. We never encounter the mother, but we're haunted by her absence. We see her photographs. We see her memories. Her
0: spirit kind of falls through the movies. Yeah. Definitely.
1: And then even, you know, with Peter, there's this awareness that he's been, his, his mother at the dinner is so, you know, thoughtless in how she approaches Laura Jean and asking about her mother and and you know not remembering that the mother has passed away, and you know Peter has to like um say, "No, I told you that remember you you did something insensitive, mm-hmm. so you kind of had to be the grown up in this interesting space um and the the kids are you know they show their strength and their wisdom in a way that's really delightful, and I think we appreciate it through their lenses of experience, innocence um Hopefulness and optimism, and not at their expense. Like so many teen rom coms, like you know, the humor is at the expense of the young people, and we don't get that.
0: You know, I'm curious about the fifth and final boy.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: We have Peter, Lucas, John Ambrose, Josh, uh-huh. and there's a Kenny. So I watched it again, and so there's the Kenny. That the, the, Kenny's letter got returned to sender. So
1: because she sent it to the camp, right?
0: Right. So we don't know what ha- what's the deal with Kenny. Uh-huh. It definitely leaves a door open for another sequel. Or oh, right. Most likely. <laughs> most likely. I already yeah. know they're probably in the works of something like that. But yeah.
1: it's yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing, too. Um, in some ways, I, I love that that letter has been returned to her because, you know, at least one avenue was not out of control for her, right? And I love that, you know, Kitty was like, well, five chances is better than you know, no chances. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's
0: the numbers game,
1: right? right? Like, so sweet and so optimistic in her in her approach. And so there's, you know, I it would kind of be interesting to imagine a camp counselor maybe getting this letter and being like, hmm, maybe I need to contact this kid and let him know that a letter came for them, or you know, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, there's this interesting moment there of like, what is that possibility? And I think you know, there's that that scene. In the first film, there's that scene like halfway through the credits where I think there's John Ambrose carrying the flowers or something like that. Yeah. Um, in that moment. And so we have this sense of like unfulfilled promise or opportunity or potential. And you know, when we end with Lara Jean going away to NYU, I love that she chooses herself, right? She chooses herself. And, and hopefully it'll work out with Peter, but who knows, you know? Um, it's not, and the mother has said to Margot, don't go to college with a boyfriend right like don't limit yourself and in some ways that unsent letter echoes that too you know so
0: who knows kenny might be at nyu oh, maybe, man. oh my
1: god that would be wow that would be drama and interesting
0: <laughs> um so we talked we mentioned this already i'm curious in terms of why of the three films though you said the third one was your favorite
1: yeah, you know, and it's, it's a weird thing because there's, there's so much about that film that I think did not work, you know, like, um, there, in ways that I think the first one did work. But what I loved about that third, what was so wonderful for me or why the third one is my favorite, even though I don't think it's the best film, is that they really had an opportunity to explore their backstories in a way. You know, they're so haunted by their mother. And by the loss that they see their father experience, like the girls have really protected him in a very big way for a very long time. And in a way, seeing him um, move on with another woman is a relief for them because they can go live their lives now. Yeah. They're not holding space in that way. And they're not doing it in a way that dishonors their mother or this, their, their mother's memory. Um, there's something really beautiful and interesting, but to be able to go back and connect to their mother, not through their grief of lo- uh, losing her, but at a time when she existed, thrived, lived, a space that was like hers, her city where she lived, where she put a little heart shaped locket on that fence. Like, you know, and that could have been so cheesy, but it was not cheesy. And they added the little heart shaped locket with their names on it to build on their story. And so I love the way in which heritage was embraced in this particular story. It didn't define them. And I think if that was the first thing that we had encountered in the series, I i don't know how I would have felt about it. I love that it took the third film, it took all that time for us to explore those kinds of questions.
0: I think the reason why I do like the third one more, is was because like the first two movies was about Lower Jean's world. Like we were, it was a world building sense, like we're we're getting a sense of everything that's going on in Laura Jean's life and her romances and her growing up and maturation process. But it's also kind of limited in this Adler High School setting and between Peter and all the boys. But in the third movie, it reminds us that there's this whole other world and real world that we have to deal with post high school when we're going into college. And you could argue that that whole you know high school sweetheart versus college is a, a tried and true trope mm-hmm. especially in teen rom-coms but i think because they had the luxury of building and developing these characters in the in two movies we were already kind of getting a sense where oh yeah that is going to be a real tough thing that that peter and Lara Jean have to go through so how do we lean on each other how what how does laura Laura Jean used the support system that she have to kind of navigate this yeah. complex world. And she sees New York, right? And she's infatuated with New York and and at this um, college college party. I think it's a yep. college, yeah, mm-hmm. NYU party. Um, so she's like l- realizing there's this whole other world outside of Peter yes. that goes beyond Peter. Um, and so I just thought, felt like that was a little bit more realistic, if yeah. you will, with you know, reinforced with how we've grown to love and understand these characters from the first two films. That's why I really like the third one.
1: I agree with you. And I think, like, you know, Lara Jean's optimism about discovering the world, about going out there, her excitement at going to NYU, um, the fact that she reluctantly comes around to accept Margot's perspective that maybe this might be good for her, you know? She's been kind of running from these these big things in her past and insulating herself in this world of romance novels in which mm-hmm. she's probably not represented, realistically, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, You know, she's put herself in these worlds where she doesn't exist and now she gets to decide what the world looks like for her and where she's going to go and what her place is going to be in it um and we see the rest of the world and it's it's kind of beautiful and i mean kitty meets kitty meets the boy you know over there Mm -hmm. i love that moment i don't know why but i just thought it was so cute (laughs) you know although
0: i was like kitty he's in korea that's not gonna last
1: (laughs) of course not but you know (laughs) when you're in sixth grade yeah i was like
0: yeah i was like i get it sure (laughs)
1: it was it was so cute and like um and to see her kind of you know and it'll be interesting to see her story develop too and how different that will be from from both of her sisters, they were each different people and they were different people encountering the same shared world, you know? Um, and to imagine all the possibilities that are there for any one of them, all of them individual, like it's Lara Jean's story. And yet we can start to see her place and the networks of connections that she has within other people. And, um, I just, I love it when a series goes, let's go out of the world for a second and see everything else, you know? Yeah. So, um, so it's just, It was nice to see those elements and nice to see Lara Jean um, finding the world outside of her romance.
0: Okay, so I'm going to close this out with this very important question to you. Do you think Lara Jean and Peter make it through college?
1: Oh, wow. Um... No, I don't think they do. I don't think they do, <laughs> to be honest. I mean... Okay, so
0: what year are you saying there was the breakup? Freshman, second year, third year? Halfway
1: through their sophomore year.
0: <laughs> halfway through <laughs> their college years, <Christmas> okay. Christmas break
1: <laughs> of, of that time period. Because I think, you know, their first year, they're going to be, you know, like, you know, I because I I teach at a university and I see how students oh, okay. you know so like you, grow so and develop know. and that's when everyone breaks up when they're you know high school boyfriends or girlfriends but but I do think you know the first year is kind of coming to terms with a new place and a new space and like making sense of things but then NYU and Stanford are are worlds apart in terms of their experiences and I think you know I suspect that you know for the first year Peter and Lara Jean will continue to obsessively share their social media or their yeah, their videos and, connect.
0: and all the stuff and it's gonna
1: get tiring it's gonna get tiring and you know maybe they'll find their way back after you know college I don't know but but I think they'll break up and have new adventures
0: I'm with you I think statistically speaking they're most likely not gonna make it through college right. I mean there's <laughs> just too many experiences there's they're so far apart I'm going to say they're going to break up after their first year.
1: Oh, wow. So All right. sooner than that.
0: <laughs> Maybe after the, the, the first semester. I don't even know. Of a quarter system? I don't know. Yeah. It's not that because I'm cynical. <laughs> I just think that knowing Laura Jean's character arc, I think they'll break up amicably. So yes. it's not like they're, they will hate each other. I think they'll, they'll reach a point in their relationship where they understand, hey, you know, if this is going to have any chance in the future of us kind of coming back to each other and each other's lives. We're going to have to learn to let each other go at this point and let us grow individually as people. Yeah. And, potentially date other people. I mean, I think they're both young, good looking yeah. kids and stuff like that. I'm sure they'll <laughs> find other relationships and stuff like that. But uh yeah, I don't think they'll make it through college for <laughs> sure. I know that they kind of paint this picture of hope always and forever. Mm-hmm. But that's, the, <laughs> that's actually the one thing where I was kind of like, okay, you don't <laughs> have to lie to these kids. Right? That's That's the romanticized like, oh, that's right, as real and relatable as this movie is. Mm -hmm. It's a movie. And so, of course, they're going to manufacture an ending that everyone wants. But realistically speaking, yeah, you know, (laughs) at a university, these kids want to experience life. And it's like, I'm not going to be in a relationship with someone that's 3,000 miles away on the other (laughs) side of the country. When I have New York, I'm in, you know, in New York City, which is like one of the greatest cities of all time. She's going to have too much fun. (laughs) And
1: like we see that, you know, there's that moment where they bring the pink couch onto the subway, right? You know, she's fully in her moment and fully alive and fully present. And, you know, I think that like Peter's bogged down by this, this fear of abandonment and uh, Lara Jean's bogged down by, by loss and being able to break up with each other might actually free them from the pasts that haunt them both, you know? Yeah. I think think she'll (laughs) break
0: up with him though. I think she'll break up with him. I
1: think so too. I think so too. I give them a little bit longer though, because she's got a good capacity for denial. There,
0: <laughs> you know. Okay. She never. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. So okay. So maybe what what I'm saying is that maybe after the first year, that's when it starts to kind of go downhill. Yes. They stop, they stop calling each other more. Stop sending less pictures to each other. You start to see the signs where it's like, "Hey, I'll call you later." You. Like that. <laughs> that's when the the relationship starts to deteriorate.
1: <laughs> I see it too. I see that, but I don't see it as a bad thing. I think it's okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, that's going to conclude today's episode. I want to thank Saba. Thank you so much, Saba, for the insightful knowledge and in the conversation. I really enjoyed this. I had a lot of fun. Please come back. We'll, we'll have you back for another episode, I'm sure.
1: Sounds good. Thanks so much. I had a great time and um, I, I look forward to hearing more.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Tune in next time for another episode of Real Asian Podcast.